even without snow. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Ah. Let's do it again. <laughs> okay, I want to welcome you all. As my guru, Baba Muktananda, used to do in every program, he would say in Hindi, Sabko Varasan Mane Kesat Prem Seadik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that's the essence of spirituality. And in that spirit, I want to welcome you for our Christmas program. <clears throat> and let's see. A few photos. There's uh, Santa Baba. This, I realize this is my 50th Hindu Christmas. <laughs> so, so there's Baba. He used to dress up every uh, Christmas. That way. He was Santa Claus all year round, though. What else do you have? Uh, yeah, in Ganeshpuri, we always celebrated Christmas with Baba. That's Baba's perch on a Christmas. Uh, what else do you have? I'll look at that That's a little later. Santa paid a visit to the ashram. Yeah, it's, it's very hot there in the, uh, what? Oh, it's, it's fairly cool there, actually. Yeah, it's Northern Hemisphere. It's not uh, New York or Chicago, no. What else do you have? Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That must be a, a, an Ann Arbor Christmas. Okay, let's uh, quickly go through that one. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so in honor of Christmas, I have a few uh, question answers by Baba that touch on the theme of Christmas and Christianity, and then a few other things. So. This is on one of his world tours. Question. Oh, this was on the second world tour. Um, he was visited by a lot of uh, Christian ministers, and he visited some monasteries in Europe and other places. <clears throat> so this on the second world tour, Christian minister asked Baba, said, is your faith and teaching contrary to Jesus Christ in any way? It's a very rude question, isn't it? But anyway. Baba said, there's no such thing as my special faith or my special teaching. All I tell people is meditate on yourself. Everyone meditates on himself and on nobody else. Jesus Christ was a great meditator, and he had faith in the existence of the inner self. The other day I was shown a pamphlet which said that there's a divine light inside and that Jesus called that light God. And that is exactly what I say. So this teaching doesn't bear my mark. It's not specifically mine. 
If love and devotion arise in someone's heart, do we have any exclusive right to it? What I'm describing is the inner religion of every person, the religion of one's inner self. I don't support any particular creed. I support the inner self. That's pretty good, huh? <clears throat> one of the one one Christmas in the early 1970s is when I was in the ashram with him in India. Baba said, "It's a very great day today, Christmas Day, because it's a day sacred to a very great saint." Our scriptures say that when a great man is born on earth, the earth finds her Lord. By the birth of a great man who is constantly aware of the inner self, uh, seated in the heart, who becomes one with the Lord, his family is sanctified, his mother is fulfilled, and the earth is gratified. All the saints are worshippers of purity, worshippers of virtue, not impurity or evil. It's a very great thing that by the grace of Christ, through the agency of Christ, countless souls today remember the Lord. And if he were to be born, all of us would meet him with great reverence and great joy. One would hope. Huh? All right. <clears throat> and finally, last one on this topic. Uh, this is also from the, one of his world tours. Question, what is the connection between the guide or guru as we experience him within ourselves and the actual outer guru? Can the power and memory of Christ be the guru within? Baba says, if you were to truly love Christ, the dormant shakti would easily be awakened. There's not much difference between the inner guru and the guru outside you in the world. Though you may appear to worship the outer guru, the truth is that your worship is directed inward towards your own heart. Whatever you do for God, it's you who reap the harvest inside. The Guru Gita says that in the Sahasrar, the thousand-petal spiritual center, there's a triangle. And in the middle of that triangle lives the inner guru. That Bob used to go always like this and recite the verse from the Guru Gita. That guru is supremely infulgent. The brilliance of his light equals a thousand outer suns. But while the light of the outer suns heats you up, the light of the inner guru cools you down. To anyone who reaches the highest state of meditation, the inner guru reveals himself within, and one feels that vibration all the time. When you receive the message of truth from the guru within, you become aware that the outer guru you've worshipped is no different from the guru you've seen inside. The inner guru is the same for all people of the world, regardless of their race or religion. Therefore, it is right to say that Christ is seated right here as the supreme guru within everyone. Nice. <clears throat> so a few more on uh, various topics. Uh, this is from uh, 
From my day in Ganeshpuri, one of the ashramites, Kalaratri, asked Baba, I have a rebellious nature. Is obeying the guru absolutely necessary? <laughs> Is there a, a loophole? One should always look for loopholes. If you can find one, then take it. Baba says, all attainments come from obeying the guru. I can tell you this from my own experience. When I went to stay with my guru, Baba Muktananda, he told me to go and sit in the place where Gurudev Siddhapit now exists, the place where the ashram, up the road from where Bhagwan Nityananda was. I didn't ask my guru, what should I do there? What shall I eat? All that I did was go sit there. Some people used to bring bread once a week from Bombay. I would keep that bread for eight days, and that was what I would eat. I used to visit Baba Nityananda every day. At his place, there were piles of food, so much that it would just sit there and rot. But I never asked for anything, I just obeyed his command. The result is that I received the most divine Shaktipat. And now, even though I don't know English, I've been able to do a lot of work all over the world. Ordinarily, a saint can give Shaktipat to only two people in a week. He transmits his energy, if he transmits his energy to more than two people, he'll become very weak. Not only that, a saint ordinarily uh, gives Shaktipat only after purifying the seeker for at least one year. And these are the traditions that uh, Shaktipat's not just given. You have to do some service in the ashram, you have to do some practice, you purify yourself to a certain point. And Baba was very different. Baba created, uh, in Baba's tradition, Shaktipat can happen immediately, first, on your first meeting. Baba says he has to make the seeker do many different kinds of practices. This is traditional. But I've not had to follow all these rules. I've been able to give Shaktipat to anyone who comes here, knowing that whatever my guru wants to make happen will happen. It's because I have surrendered completely to my guru that I've been able to transmit Shakti to many people all over the world. This is the power of the guru's grace. This is what you attain by following the guru's path. And then Baba read a poem by the poet saint named Brahmananda who and describes the state the guru gives us. This is the poem Baba read. When I met that pure one, I also became pure. From him I received grace. And after that, I began to meditate. As I meditated, my individuality vanished. And I myself became consciousness. I myself became the guru. When my inner ego was struck by the sword of my guru's love, that love began to kill my ego. So that even though I was alive, I experienced death. My death died and I became immortal. When I received the Guru's touch, he took away my sleep of delusion. The fire of knowledge was kindled in me and it burned up all my attachments. It burned away my bondage and I became completely free. When I met the pure one, when I merged into the pure, 
I also became pure. When I met that ecstatic being, my individuality vanished and I became God. Fantastic poem, isn't it? <clears throat> Here's one from, uh, from the 1960s. Um, and from India, 1960s, a woman came to see Baba. It's very, very typical interview here. Baba, I'm a happy woman. <laughs> I've never suffered from want in my life. My husband is a good man. We have good position in society. I have everything. But, what? <laughs> Still, I have no peace of mind, no peace of mind. I have read religious books. I daily read the Bhagavad Gita. I have gone on pilgrimages. But still, I have no inner contentment. Is it that I do not deserve it? Can spirituality and worldly life not be combined? It's very poignant in a way. It's a complaint, but still. You know, the, the scriptures say that we should be able to lead a good life and, and have that, and she's saying, I can't attain it. Baba says, every human being has the right to acquire divine knowledge. He is in essence Paramatman. He is in essence divinity. For doing sadhana, this world is not an obstacle, but an aid. How can this world, which is a manifestation of his love, God's love, be a barrier to a seeker. The world is his own form. King Janaka looked after a large kingdom, yet while doing his, his duties, he attained self-realization. Yajnavalkya had two wives. Having two wives, very hard job. He attained himself. I am a sannyasin, Baba says, still, we can see that I do not deviate from duties. Even while living in the world, one can fix one's mind on God. The woman says, I am doing this, but even so I have no peace of mind. Baba, there is no peace even after acquiring the good things of life because they do not satisfy the inner self. They cannot give peace. How can a person find peace if he searches for it where it does not exist. You are running to the south while wanting to go to the north. Therefore, search for peace where it exists. Woman, I understand that the transitory things of the world do not satisfy inner longing. <clears throat> Daily, I try to sit to med in meditation, but after two or three minutes, my mind starts to wander. Baba, where's Baba going to take this? Baba says, since the mind has formed the habit of thinking about external matters, it constantly occupy, it's constantly occupied with those things. It thus becomes difficult to fix the mind on God or do meditation for a long time. So make an effort to think of God more and more. The mind takes whatever color you dye it with. Anger, greed, pride, 
and attachment are the different colors. The individual soul is the enjoyer or sufferer of these colors or tendencies. The heart is like water, which is pure and colorless. The water takes up whatever color you put in it and dyes the cloth with the same color. So also, according to the tendencies of the mind, a person experiences misery or happiness. Therefore, dye your heart and mind with the color of God, with the color of the self, so that the world will appear to you dyed in God's color. Then your worries will disappear and you'll find peace. So uh, our minds have been colored the wrong way by past tendencies and by bad habits, but we have the power to change that by focusing on the self, focusing on peace and not indulging anger and anxiety and grief and, and uh, depression. We have to move away from those things. <clears throat> but still, she's not convinced. That she says, I try to do it, but I fail. What should I do to dye my heart with God's color? So finally, Baba says, Baba says, seek the company of saints and win their grace. Their spiritual influence will easily turn your mind within. In order that the color may become fixed, go to them as often as possible. That's his answer. So ultimately, the final thing is satsang. There's nothing more valuable than satsang. <clears throat> it's very hard to turn the mind uh, away from past habits and negativity, uh, and that's why the company of uh, fellow seekers, company of great beings is so crucial. Okay, one more. Last one. Uh, this is uh, also from my time with Baba, from 1972. My uh, old uh, roommate, my buddy Ram, asked Baba about mantra. Uh, Ram says, <clears throat> I've been, he's been, uh, been, I've been in touch with him lately, uh, and he says he's coming out here in uh, March. In March. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see. <clears throat> Ram, I've been alternating between muttering my mantra and repeating it inside with my breath. I wonder whether I should continue this method of a fixed number of japa or increase it. Whether I should, what? Yeah, or increase it. Should I devote more time to witness consciousness methods and object meditation and thus to the regular japa meditation that I've been doing? That may sound like a very technical question, but see, we were absorbed in the ashram, we totally focused on practice, and every nuance was, uh, you know, we were examining, well, how should I balance it, what should I do? And so he's saying, what should I do? So Baba, Baba gives an interesting answer. He says, whatever limit or number of malas you have fixed for yourself, first do that. So, you know, some of us would, would decide we do X number of malas. That means a mala has 108 beads, 
And uh, you do the mantra once for each bead, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. And you do it, that way you sort of know the score. <laughs> and um, uh, you do a certain number every day, just to make sure that you practice. So he's saying, do, the, do whatever number you've, whether it's 10 malas or 20 malas, whatever it was. Uh, later, you might repeat your mantra once while inhaling and once while exhaling. So then combine the mantra with the breath, using the breath as a mala rather than the, the beads. You use the breath and you say it once in, Om Namah Shivaya in, Om Namah Shivaya out. Or the Hamsa mantra, Hum in and Sa out. Um, <clears throat> he says, that's very fruitful, using the breath. As you keep doing your mantra with the breath, witness consciousness will come to you naturally. There's no such thing as the ex exclusive practice of witness consciousness. I understand that there are teachers who are holding courses in witness consciousness and who teach people how to stay a witness. So Bob is now commenting on something that's going on in Bombay that some devotees are attracted to. I will say no more. I have no objection to that, Bob says. After all, it is a new age and novel techniques are in the air and there's nothing wrong with them. If you knew Baba, you know that talking about new techniques and novel ideas is a massive put down. Baba say there's nothing new, it's all traditional practice, all been discovered by the ancient sages. You don't have to discover something new, you'd always say that. <clears throat> but then the question arises, what exactly is the nature of witness consciousness? I can explain it very, by a very simple example. Here, Amma and Uma are taking notes. They'll always be making notes when Baba's talking. I don't know exactly what they're writing. I'm only watching them write. And that is what witness consciousness is. <laughs> there may be another person meditating. And if I'm watching them from a distance, I'm in witness consciousness. I was like, what's the big deal? You see something, you're a witness. If a criminal dispute arises between two persons and the case comes to a court of law, then the judge, while interrogating the victim, would ask him, well, I accept the fact that you were thrashed, and it's quite obviously that somebody did hit you, but I would like to know if you have a witness who would testify. <laughs> Baba says, similarly, to keep on watching while inhaling and exhaling, whether you're saying the mantra or not, that is what witness consciousness is. The inner witness is awake all the time and is watching whatever is happening. It's not all difficult to watch what is happening there, and you don't have to take special training for that. To keep on watching whether the mantra repetition is going on with the respiratory rhythm or not is a very simple form of witness consciousness, and you can practice it wherever you are, just to watch the breath, most basic uh, form of meditation is just to watch the breath. And I've always felt that a, a certain kind of a chemistry happens 
the magic happens when the attention and the breath connect. Because usually they call it, you know, the, uh, what is it, the autonomic nervous system. So we're not aware of it. But to bring our awareness to it, then some um, buzz happens, spanda happens, some energy happens. <clears throat> he says, The inner witness is of the highest importance, and a meditator should meditate on the inner witness. It is that inner witness which is the goal, the object of meditation. The sages say that the inner witness is without attributes. It is pure consciousness. It is the Lord himself. It is the inner witness who is the Satguru, and you should always be aware of that inner witness. Well, the inner witness the inner witness is always the subject. It can never be an object. So you can't really watch the witness, you be the witness. You can become the witness. The witness is the one that watches everything. Inside you there's, there's a space from which you watch your whole life go by. There's a consciousness, there's a space. And that's what Bob is calling the witness. That's also the self. And to know the self, to remember the self, to focus on that, is to shift your awareness so you're not at the effect, you're at source. It's also the source of who you are. So that's what Bob is talking about as witness consciousness. <clears throat> so let's meditate. And it's Christmas, and Baba is talking about Jesus as the inner guru, you know, I gave a, I gave a, a talk a number of years ago at a, um, an interfaith gathering that was uh, held at a, at a, uh, at a Christian uh, monastery, I guess you could call it, <clears throat> and various people uh, were speaking there. And they asked me to talk about the guru. And I, I said that, uh, well, as Christians, you know the guru very well. You know everything about the guru. You know about discipleship. You know about obedience to the guru. You know about the Shaktipat, because you know about the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> you know about the inner self, the kingdom of God within. You know everything. There's only one thing, which is that uh, your, your religion has erroneously taught that this was a one-off event, that God is actually much more generous than these uh, theologians would allow. God is, gives the guru over and over again in every generation, so there's always the guru figure that we can connect with because the guru is very benevolent and tries to point us to that same guru that's within us. So if you understood that uh, everything you say about Jesus is about the guru, who's not a one-off event, but a many times event, <coughs> and who wants to become an event in your own being, uh, then you understand it. So when we really understand Jesus, then we understand who the guru really is. And that guru is eternal, that guru does not belong to any particular creed or any particular scripture. 
That guru is alive within every person. That guru is consciousness itself and exists within it, every person. So when we meditate on that space inside, we get in touch with Jesus and we get in touch with uh, uh, Muhammad and we get in touch with Moses and we get in touch with Ramakrishna and uh, Ramana Maharshi and Bhagwan Nityananda and so on. We get in touch with all the great beings that ever was and more importantly we get in touch with ourself because that self is the same spirit that was in Jesus and with all of them. And I think that uh, if we realize that, Jesus would be very happy. Jesus doesn't need us to wave his flag and be part of his club, but Jesus would be very happy if we knew the self, because then in the highest sense we would be part of his club, part of his group. So let's meditate on that place within, that place of blazing awareness, the witness consciousness, the place of the self, the place of the inner guru. And to do that, we don't have to do anything special, anything more than turn within. Our awareness always is turned outside, and we look outside. But when we turn within, now we're oriented properly. Our orientation is towards the inner. And this self, this consciousness, this blazing power, the power of love, the power of joy, the power of wisdom, is there within ourselves. So turn within. You don't need a long course in anything. You don't even need to read scriptures. You need to read the scripture of your own heart. So turn within and find that space within yourself. And let the mind go, it doesn't matter what the mind does, but keep looking for that space within and then relax into it, collapse into it. That's the space of Jesus and it's the space of yourself. So let's meditate now on the self in honor of Jesus for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Dr. Gurunath Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. <laughs> 